Welcome one, welcome all to this very special edition of Random Thoughts and Best Regards. I am your host, T-O-Double-D. Episode 4, coming at you right now, and it is all about The Last Dance. The five-week, ten-episode docuseries, which just wrapped last Sunday, took an in-depth look at Michael Jordan's career and the Bulls' 1998 season. The series was co-produced by ESPN and Netflix. In this episode, I will be joined by four special panelists, which also just happen to be my best friends. We'll dig deep into The Last Dance. Later on in this podcast, I'll also be joined by my longtime broadcast colleague, Sal Urena. So sit back, relax, and get ready for this special edition of Random Thoughts and Best Regards. All right, well, let's go ahead and tip off this brand new edition of Random Thoughts and Best Regards, a very special one. This one is dedicated to the docuseries, The Last Dance. And I'm excited today to be joined by my starting five. Let me go ahead and introduce them to you. To me, they're known as the good doctor, the head chef, my cupcake supplier, and Captain Planet. But they are better known as Shintu, Ricardo, Marvin, and Terrence, my two best friends from my childhood and my two best friends from college. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks, man. Good to be yep. here. Good Thanks to for be having here. us. Thank you for setting it this up. This is Sarah. Yes, sir. This is, this is going to be fun, and I'm excited about this. We're all well-versed in it, but it was fun now to kind of go back in time, especially during this pandemic now, kind of go back in time and relive this and kind of get more of the backstory. So right out of the gate, what I want to do is just high level. I want to ask you guys what your overall impressions of the docuseries were. This was a 10 part docuseries that um, Netflix and ESPN co-produced. It ran over five weeks. We got two episodes a week every Sunday. It just ended last Sunday. So I want to go ahead and I think it's only right in this instance. Let's start with the fellow who just celebrated a birthday yesterday and probably has a cold Zima in his hand. Shintu, what are your impressions of the docuseries? Thanks for calling me out in Zima, man. It's really refreshing. Um, <laughs> um, can it, does the Zima work with a cigar? Um, sure. <laughs> so I'll tell you uh, quickly, I think Michael Jordan uh, looks, in hindsight, looks like a shitty person and a ruthless being. Uh, maybe that's what it takes to win, but he looked pretty shitty overall, I think. And Pip gets screwed. I think Pippin, Pippin gets screwed. He's a he's an overall better human being than Michael. I think that he gets he gets jacked for uh, for having contributed so much to gluing that team together. Michael and those other guys would have fallen apart. I think Pip brought that thing together. He, 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 he. I, I think you make yeah, I think you make a great point there, and I don't think you're alone in that feeling. I will say for me, my take my takeaway from the series, uh, kind of what this showed me because it showed me a lot of good and bad, as you mentioned there, Shintu. But it showed me that definitely winning and leadership has a price. And that's what I think we saw in this docuseries. Terrence, what's your takeaway from the docuseries? Um, I think it was fantastic. Uh, it's one of my top ESPN 30 for 30. Well, I guess it wasn't 30 for 30, but like one of the top ESPN productions. Uh, I put it up there with the Fab Five because I love the Fab Five. Um, it made Jordan... I guess he came out and said before this, he said, hey, when you see this, you're not going to like me. And I, I get it now, but I also get his methods 
as to what he's trying to do to get his team to win. He's is win at all costs, pretty much. But uh, I enjoyed it. Marvin, um, I thought it was a well produced show, and I'm probably gonna go on the on the other side of this. I actually, uh, after this show, liked Michael Jordan even more and the Bulls even more after this. I thought his tactics, and we'll get more into it later. I thought his tactics were were well intended. I thought. He felt that's what he needed to do to win. I just, I just thought everything overall was great. And also, just one last thing, Phil Jackson deserves a lot of credit, more credit than he's probably gotten mm-hmm. as well to keep that team to be the, to be the leader that he was on that team. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I learned a lot about Phil Jackson. I, you know, already knew about Phil obviously, but I learned a lot more about him uh, through this documentary. Rick, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I I concur with the group. Uh, I think the victory history is written by the victors and Michael gets to write this story as an executive producer. So it's tilted in his favor. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like from a production standpoint, I would have preferred that it went chronologically instead of jumping. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like it was really hard to explain to someone like I was watching with my girlfriend. It was really hard to explain hey, that didn't happen then, so Pippen didn't know about then, that then, or Horace Grant wasn't on the magic yet, right? So you, you yes. had a lot of jumping around in the storytelling that's really hard, unless you had our perspective where we're living it and knew the chronological order. Yes, and I think that's a good point because I, I, for me, one of the glaring ones was, I think it was episode nine, where they were telling the story of Steve Kerr and his father, yep. and they show... Uh, Steve Kerr shot against the Jazz and then you come out of that and you're in the finals game seven of the finals the year before against the Pacers and it just yep. it's yep. it just I, I can I can agree with that and I can definitely get on board with that it the jumpiness of it you know I didn't mind it as much in the beginning when they were kind of jumping back to his North Carolina days yes. and his childhood but then down the stretch it yeah it, it uh it definitely got a little choppy one other thing um and I think it was Rick who just mentioned it I do agree with um this was very much Jordan writing his own narrative. And I think that's one thing that I learned about Michael Jordan in this. I always knew about Jordan, the great competitor, but I think in Jordan, the great competitor, there was also Jordan, the storyteller. And I think that entire time as Jordan was living that he was writing a story and he was writing his narrative. And we saw that play out. And obviously we're now going to dig deeper into that. And we'll have plenty of time to discuss all of this, but I want to start now and I want to go to Marvin um, because you're going to talk to us about Jerry Krause. Yeah. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because Jerry Krause was the GM of the Bulls. He came in with a young Michael Jordan. We saw now you got as much as you want to vilify or boo Jerry, and I don't mean you specifically, Mark, but as much as people want to boo or vilify Jerry at times in Chicago, you also have to give him a bit due because regardless of whatever happened, he took a crappy team, and he built it into what it is. I mean, yes, Michael Jordan, you could say, led them on the court and everything else. We all agree he had a lot of supporting cast members, but those supporting cast members aren't there without Jerry Krause's decision-making ability. So, Marvin, go ahead and talk to us a little yeah. bit about your take on Jerry yeah, Krause. Thank you, thank you. Um, I would, and I would say I wish Jerry Krause was alive to be part of the production because I think he would have brought a, mm-hmm. another level of thought to, to the whole last dance. I think if we look at it, Hindsight 2020, we can look at Jerry Krause and, and look at all the bad things that, you know, uh, the last dance part saying, hey, we're going to end the team in 98 and not go for a 4 P in 99. But if we look at what happened in 99, you can see that, you know, that, that might have been a great ideal. Or 98, that's, that, that might have been a great 
thing to do is break that team up. The team was old. That team was uh, uh, the past is prime. But let's go back to the beginning. You know, Jerry Krause inherited Michael Jordan when he, when he was hired in 85. And that team wasn't that good. Uh, in 85, Jordan got hurt, so he was out for the year. Uh, Jerry Krause then took it upon himself in 85 to one of the best hires, if you look back on the history of the Bulls, in hiring Tex Winters as an assistant coach to Doug Collins. Yes. Uh, making that higher so that he can implement the triangle, even though the triangle didn't really get implemented until years later, later on down because of Doug Collins. But that was a great hire because it, it set a foundation to what Jerry Krause was trying to do. So if you look at 85 and then 86, you know, they had a bad year in 87, which might come down as the greatest draft that a GM ever made in the history of drafts. He gets Scotty Pippen with a trade with, with the Sonics. And then he gets Horace Grant, two of the biggest anchors to the to the to the Bulls' success in, in the early parts of their success, and Scotty Pippen with all their success. And that was '87, and he also in '85 picked up John Paxson, which was a good leader for the team as well, doing when they won a championship. And if you if if you guys remember, that's not who they. Uh, Jordan kind of wanted a different he wanted to go a different direction but Jerry Krause was confident in his own abilities to draft that he went his direction and that direction hindsight 2020 was a was a great direction to go into I'm not against all the draft picks that he that he did but in 89 which was one of the best things he did he fired Doug Collins and hired an, an assistant coach to be head coach and Phil Jackson Remember, Jordan didn't like that. Jordan wanted to stay the man. He wanted to average 40 points a game. But Krause understood that in order for him to win, Jordan needed help, and they also needed to play as a team. And that's some things that Jerry Krause does not get credit for, for having the vision to to not only build this team, but have a vision of how this team should play. And he got the right pieces in, in place to coach this team and to lead this team. And once he, did, once he put that into place, that team took off. You know, they, they went to the, after 1990, when they lost to the Pistons, they came back in 91, 92, 93, and won three straight championships. Even after Jordan left, that team was still built to be a successful team. He brought in Tony Kukoc. Sure. He uh, still, he was still a contender. contender. And then yep. Jordan left. And then when Jordan came back, he just came, just a plug and chug almost. They came in, he played. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost Horace Grant, but instead of, uh, you know, going to the draft, he picked up Dennis Rodman. He picked up mm-hmm. Ron Harper. He got a, a Steve Kerr in 94. So when Jordan came back, this team was ready to win again, and they continued to win. So for me, yeah, he broke the team up 89 or in, in uh, 98, but people need to look at that. Hey, Jerry Krause also built one hell of a team. He built one hell of a surrounding cast uh, for Michael Jordan to be able to win. And he got the right players who can fit Jordan's personality with his you know, almost bully tactics, his 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 yes. mastermind, you know, it's just the way he, he led the team. Mm-hmm. And these yeah. players were able to take that and run with it. They knew they had a great player, but he also knew that he had great teammates. And and to me, Jerry Krause did that. Jordan was not responsible for hiring of Tex Winters. He didn't really want Phil Jackson to be the head coach. Mm-hmm. He definitely didn't want, you know, Oakley to be traded for Bill Cartwright, which turned out to be a great trade because Cartwright was a, was a seven-foot center that could defend. Yeah. And so, and so that's how I look at it. And then, uh, lastly, I will say, if you look at that '91 roster that won the first championship, outside of Michael Jordan, 
every player in the in the top rotation was a hand-picked person that Jerry Krause picked. B.J. Armstrong in the 89 draft, Scotty Pippen in 87, Paxson a free agent in 85, Cartwright a trade in 88, and Grant a draft in 87. So that first six outside of Jordan was all Jerry Krause, and I think he needs, I think he deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, in hindsight, 2020, that night in 1999, the Bulls probably could have, since it was a shortened season, they could have potentially made it to the finals. The Knicks was an eight seed, and they made it to the finals. So, of course, the Bulls could have easily made it to the finals and played the Spurs. But with that old team, I don't know if they could have beat the Spurs with Tim Duncan and uh, and uh, David Robinson. Okay. But, and I'm kind of glad you, I'm kind of glad you went there with that because I, so here's how I look at it. I think Jerry Krause had a great basketball mind or at least personnel wise. He knew, like you said, he knew how to fill the holes. He knew how to fill the gaps. He knew how to build the team that, that I felt was clear. Obviously somebody needs to be vilified in this, right? You have your, your good guys, your bad guys in any story. Somebody needs to be vilified in this. It's going to be Jerry Krause because he was the one who said, I'm not bringing back Phil Jackson. So I think it's interesting when you make the point about, you know, I thought it was very poignant at the end of the documentary where Jordan is talking about how it's he he can't resolve the fact that he never had a chance to come back and go for that seventh title. Well, you did. You did. You just had to do it without Phil Jackson as your head coach. Chances are Rodman was going to sign and come back. Steve Kerr probably maybe would have stayed instead of going to San Antonio. So... I think it's interesting that Krause obviously takes the heat, I guess understandably so, because he was the one that said, I'm not bringing Phil Jackson back, and that was the death nail for everybody. But I, I think the, you, you do have to ask some shade of gray here because it wasn't all him. And again, I feel through this whole thing, Michael Jordan was writing his narrative, and I feel like this was an easier out for him than to come back the next year and potentially lose. Like you said, Marvin, it might have been San Antonio's time anyway with Robinson and Duncan. So um, I, th- I think you made some great points. I think the Tex Winter was spot on because, again, without that, the triangle offense is not implemented by Phil Jackson, um, which, again, just it opened up the Bulls' offense so much and helped them mature uh, as an as offensive team. And I was going to say one, um, one, one, last, one last thing. Me... And the, sure, sure, the, the firing of Doug Collins in a season where they were actually doing well but to have the the, the the wherewithal to say, hey, in order for us to be a successful team, Phil Jackson needs to be the head coach. Now, I thought that was a great move by him. Yeah. Yep. Let me go ahead and open it up to the rest of the panel. Anybody else want to – any thoughts on Jerry Krause? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll go, Todd. Um, okay, good. I think, I think Krause – I agree with Marvin gets a raw deal on the on the in the dock. But I think what Krause does when the Bulls become a juggernaut and a dynasty, to play the villain when the league has no villains uh-huh. is probably the the best part of the GM job, right? Like you've got to figure out if there's not the competition to go at, you've got to create the boogeyman for somebody to go at. And so yeah. he played that role, right? He knew uh-huh. Michael and Scotty loved to compete. And he said, beat me, right? Like, I'm the bad guy, right? Yeah. So I, I thought that was a smart approach, right? That's, yeah, that's smart. Yeah, real, real, real good approach. Uh, can I jump in, guys? I, I would, I'll say that yeah. Uh, yeah. perhaps out to be a villain. I don't know if anybody wants to be that guy, but uh, he turns out to be a villain. He ends up taking the role pretty well once he gets it. And 
I think the big thing for Jerry is that imagine you being the general manager, someone who's the leader of that group above the head coach and just below uh, the owner. And you see the rise of probably the greatest athlete of our time in front of you and right under you. And and outside, in the, in the world outside, this guy has clout like no other athlete has ever had. He commands hundreds of millions mm. of dollars. He, he, people, you know, drop to their feet to see him and, 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 and be with him for a moment. Um, how do you not let that guy start controlling everything? How do you not let that guy make, because in hindsight, after the Wizards and the Hornets or, or the Bobcats, you can see that perhaps, <laughs> perhaps need to be done, right? Like someone would need to go, yo, like, you might not know everything. And I feel like that is a for a person who is not rising in stature. He's just the GM that whole time. He's not rising in stature the way Michael is. Michael holds more and more clout outside, more and more clout inside. Um, who, who steps up and says, hey, Mike, you might be able to do what you do best, but I don't think you see the whole picture. And I'm sitting here watching and observing, mm -hmm. and I see a picture, and I see something that fits. Maybe you do not understand yourself all that well. You may be transcendent as a player, but I think the Michael never gives enough credit to the people around him for teaching him how to be a true leader. Uh, because uh, yeah. you could see before Phil arrived, that Kobe was also not a leader of any sort. He was, uh, and Michael was mm -hmm. a similar type of player early on. He was a lone gunner in his first few years. He would take on whole teams by himself. Um, so there is some tendency to that, that I think Jerry Krause taught Michael something. And, and something that he should have learned even better as an executive later is that perhaps just because you want things to happen doesn't mean they will. There was a lot of other people involved in winning that champ, winning those championships. I think Mike doesn't give enough and that he doesn't look humble in that sense. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, Terrence, any final thoughts on Jerry um, Cross? No, watching this, like the few, the first few episodes, I was like, man, this dude is, is terrible. But, <laughs> I mean... He, he, I mean, he, he built great teams. So I'm like, well, so why did you break it up? But I mean, I, uh, like Marvin said, I wish he was alive, you know, to give his input in this documentary. Um, but uh, I think he just, he doesn't get enough credit. He's, he's, he'll always be remembered for breaking up, you know, this great team, but not, he won't get the credit for building, he, he won't get the credit for uh, making the moves to build these great teams. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I definitely definitely agree with that, and it is it is. I would have been curious, um, and, and this is me just being the production guy. Uh, had he been alive, I would have been curious to see how much of how much he would have been in the documentary, and what would have been cut up or allowed. Um, I'm curious how they, if they actually had commentary from him, how it would have been painted and peppered into the documentary. Um, Ricardo. Let's go ahead and talk about Scottie Pippen because I felt he was painted a certain kind of way in this documentary. Um, but I guess you never see, as we were living this, we didn't see that side of it. So we don't know kind of what was going on in the locker room. And, you know, we got to learn 
a lot about Scotty's upbringing and you know who he was and how he got to where he is. But for you specifically, I know you were a huge Scotty Pippen fan growing up. So as a huge Scotty Pippen fan growing up, and to me as a guy who I felt was totally instrumental in these championships and this run, how do you feel he was portrayed in this documentary? I think Scotty, I think Scotty's faults as a great all-time NBA player were obvious to us, right? Like growing up. And I think that's why I liked him so much. Mm-hmm. He was not the perfect player, right? He was not Michael. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he had faults. He had the migraine game. He had mm-hmm. the, you know, he was mad about Kukoc getting the shot against the Knicks. Yeah. Um, but I think the hardest role, especially in modern day basketball, is being the, the Robin to someone's Batman, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he defined that role for generations to come. He let, think about LeBron James searching the globe for Kyrie Irving and Dwayne Wade so they, he can win. Mm-hmm. Think about Clay Thompson having to play in Curry's shadow. Yeah. You know, or Kawhi waiting his turn in San Antonio. Yeah. Like, I think Scotty is that guy. He definitely made that role acceptable. Right. He, he definitely made that role acceptable. He, he's yeah. that guy, and he has faults. He's not perfect. He's not a great shooter, but he's a lockdown defender. He, de- he defined that role. He became the point guard at the, the forward position. He, he re- redefined that for most of these folks, right? Uh-huh. Um, and, and he's from a tough upbringing. He seemed to treat his family like gold when he, when he mm-hmm. made it. Uh, he had a really bad first contract, but he made over a hundred million by the end. Yeah. He, he got the Portland Trailblazers mm-hmm. playing. So, you know, he, he and now he's on TV. He does a lot of media. Uh, he like does some special stuff for the Bulls once in a while. He's had a great career when you total it all up. And, and unfortunately, when you play with the great player, when you lose, they come for you, right? Like it, that's mm-hmm. you know we learned that with all you know. All the calls to fire, you know, the coach in Miami when LeBron wasn't winning. Or, uh-huh. hey, Kyrie's going to go to Boston and try to lead a team because he doesn't want to be in a shadow. We understand what the Robin's role is now. And and that's the guy that takes all the heat. And he took all the heat in the dock again for yeah. Michael. So, so, you know, Scotty has always been my guy. Um, love his, his defensive ethics. Love that he would guard one through five. Love that he was set up the offense and, you know, just, and he always gave it to the Knicks, which I loved. So, you know, can't complain about that at all. How do you think the documentary portrayed the relationship of Jordan and Pippen? How do you think, because to me, it kind of murkied the waters for me because I, I almost, at the end, they kind of made up for it at the very end of the documentary in, in episode 10. They kind of put a, a big focus. Michael did at least uh, on you know how important Scotty was to that. But I just got a feeling overall that you know they weren't. I don't know. Just I always kind of just went on this assumption they were best buds. Um, and then through the documentary, I just got the feeling that they weren't. Best Sorry, buds. Todd. Re- read that question. I dropped right then. Sure. No. No problem. So, how do you feel? the um, relationship between Michael and Scotty was portrayed in the documentary because I think it murkied the waters because I thought they had a good relationship and I thought, you know, they were tight and the documentary kind of made me feel a different way until that last episode where, you know, then Michael kind of, kind of talked a lot about Scotty's importance, but 
Uh, to me, this kind of made me seem like they weren't as close as I once thought. Uh, I didn't. Hmm, I didn't feel that specifically because if you look at when Michael walks into the locker room, who he talks to, you'll see him interact with mm-hmm. Scotty. Well, and see, but that's what I thought. But then I just felt like Michael at times was just taking shots. At, like, I, I, so then when you know, whenever they went to Michael, modern modern times talking about him i just feel like every once in a while there were a little shots taken that i just thought eh. but again maybe he was just can doing I, that can I, but, I, but I think that's how he saw him right like i think when we see lebron version of this in 20 years you, you're to gonna you see him really say like Kyrie was my guy and then you'll see the little shots right or when draymond yeah. talks about kevin durant he'll say that was my guy but he'll take a few shots I, I just think that is the yeah. tension of the relationship that you're seeing, not what is actually happening day to day, right? Like Pippen's the one putting the tower the towel over him in Utah, right? He's the one taking him off the court yeah. in Utah. You know what I mean? I feel like they're yeah. really connected at that level. But as in every great player is very critical of his teammates, especially Michael, he's mm-hmm. gonna say, Scotty didn't, yeah. you know, he should have got surgery in the offseason. He'll say, Scotty shouldn't have done, mm-hmm. shouldn't have sat, sat out at a game. Like, I, I feel like, and Scotty has heard that before. I don't think that's the first time Scotty's heard that from Michael. So that's why I don't give it a lot of gravity. I, I just think that that's playing around someone really great. I feel like that is your everyday life. And you've got to get mentally sharp and be able to take that criticism because that guy is going to be really good at sure. everything he does. Oh, Shinji, I just wanted to jump, jump in, in the part about the Scotty Michael relationship. I feel like uh, one of the nice things about mm-hmm. watching this thing, you know, many 20 years later, 20 some odd years later, is that there's an evolution of all of these people as well, right? They're describing a time, um, a particular time in their lives when they won these championships, but we know a lot about what's happened since as well. And I think one of the things about mm-hmm. Michael that I feel like. Uh, this is for Scotty, but I'm sure it's for everybody, no matter who you are. You don't really know where you stand with Michael. You, all you got to do is say something that hurts Michael in some way, and he cuts you off. Like, you know, Charles Broccoli knows it, and mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there are many other people publicly in, in, in the public arena. I'm sure Tiger Woods and he have a very uh, complicated relationship. So I understand that Michael was the way he was then, uh, I find that he doesn't look as look as good now because that's carried on since basketball days. I feel like maybe the guys who were retired when we were watching basketball during Michael's times seem to be a little more gracious about about it after after it all ended. I feel like Michael Michael continually tries to write his own history about he is great. He's amazing. He would be even loved even more. If he just wouldn't remind you so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Marvin. Turner, oh yeah, you know Scotty was. Uh, Scotty? You know I love Michael Jordan. Scotty was my was my favorite player on that team too. Todd and Terrence, you both know this. I don't buy uh, sneakers, so I, I never owned a pair of Jordans <laughs> in my life. Um, the two pair of shoes I ever bought that was that was somebody's name was the Scotty Pippins and the and the Larry Johnsons, and mm. and so you know Scotty Pippen was my guy. I think the relationship. I think they were great friends um, back back in the early back in the '90s when they were teammates. 
I think since then they probably just went their separate ways. You know, George became you know a billionaire and on a team owner, and Pippen went through his problems and things, and now he's just not getting back into the light. So I just think they took separate paths since since '98. But I still uh, think during that time they're they're great friends. I think Pippen had a. I think they could have. I wish they would have highlighted more Pippen because I think in watching the Last Dance, it didn't really show that Pippen was as great as he was, and I think they could have showed more of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, I, I know. I know Pippen is a Hall of Fame player, of course. Um, but like Marvin said, he just didn't get the shine that he should have gotten in this documentary. I mean, Michael Jordan said he said, you know, you can't mention me without mentioning Scottie Pippen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, I, you know, I just wish they would have given him a little more shine, you know. And uh, I guess you can't have the good without the bad. I guess you gotta, you know, put in, you know, that he didn't get, you know, the the all season surgery or whatever. But um, I just wish he was upheld in, in a little more in a in a better light than you know what he got. Shintu, go ahead now and tell us about another teammate from the Bulls, and that's the worm, Dennis Rodman. Dennis comes in, joins the Bulls, being a former Piston. We'll get into the history later between Detroit and Chicago. But Dennis comes over. Uh, I believe he was in yes, San Antonio, yeah. right, yep. before he came over to the Bulls? Yeah. Do I have the chronologically right? Yep. Uh, was in San Antonio, came over to the Bulls. Go ahead and um, give us your take well, on Dennis uh, Rodman first, in the last I, dance. I, I want to say that... I think Dennis Rodman has probably lived the American life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then some. Looking back and then on, some. on it now, I mean, it sounded, I remember my own thoughts about Dennis during that time. And I actually didn't really care for Dennis much because of, of the antics uh, during that space. I also didn't know at the time where all that came from, you know, who he had been all of his mm-hmm. life and how it affected him. Uh, Dennis turns out yeah. to be obviously one of the more lovable characters in all of this. Uh, partially because Dennis <laughs> is is shown in the way he is, is that he's fairly honest about what's going on, mm-hmm. um, and obviously for forthright about all the troubles he's having and he's had, and even in the documentary itself, uh, he becomes likable right off the bat because of that, even though. And I think the newer generation, the millennials who, who may not have seen him and not might have, might not have seen these teams, I think he could be a mythological figure, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when they look on, you know, yeah. the t-shirts out there, you know, I could see that that happening. One of you guys with with more business smarts than me should start the the Che Guevara type D Rod t-shirts, you know. Um, <laughs> but but my feeling about it is that uh, with, with Dennis is that he's the most I think uh, likable figure figure only for one reason one reason only I think is that he does it he, ele- he gets elevated to that level and even in his play without the feeling of team and being brought into team because team was family Dennis didn't really seem to feel family anywhere else and uh, obviously, this is not about the last dance, but obviously it was well documented um, that all of this kind of change in Dennis occurred after Chuck Daly left the Pistons and, and the team broke up mm-hmm. um, and he didn't really feel a sense of family. And he kind of uh, at some point even considered committing suicide. Uh, so I feel like the birth mm-hmm. of Dennis was like a re 
rebirth after that phase and that rebirth was beautifully shown I think in the last dance to me he was the he's a figure who has grown to be more likable as time has gone on uh partly because yes. yeah he's been very transparent uh partly because he's human you know uh, Scotty I know I know Scotty is uh more human than Michael obviously and everybody's more human than Michael uh on that team but Scotty has a real so- I mean Dennis has a real soft spot because he's wide he's wide open and even during that phase when he when he was doing all the antics everyone could tell even when I was going through that time and watching all of that you could tell it came from some sort of pain it didn't just come from it didn't just come from here's who mm-hmm. I am it was yeah, you know, just yeah. something it was a reaction to having been mm. such an introvert for so long so unsure of himself and now he becomes the most dominant rebounder of the day um and you know obviously dating Madonna probably had a little bit to do with inflating the ego <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that didn't hurt uh by the way Carmen Electra looked great I got to tell you <laughs> yeah fantastic oh my god yep oh. <laughs> she looked the same yeah I couldn't tell yeah. if it was an old clip or a new clip she looked the same I was like I think she did a deal with the devil she had not aged a second <laughs> like, yeah. right right I mean she she legit looked the same I think some things about Dennis um this reminded me i mean i always knew it obviously being a, a huge pistons fan during the bad boys days uh, isaiah thomas was my favorite player but um even then and and you saw it um throughout this series dennis is to me to this day i don't know if there is a player who has had better instincts and intangibles for the ball than dennis mm-hmm. robin this man just had an amazing way of finding the ball keeping the ball alive and it was really an art form and kids kids really should watch that kids who want to succeed should really watch and see when we talk about basketball intangibles Dennis had them he may have been you know might have had seven different colors in his hair but he had the intangibles so that's uh, I think that was painted in a great light I think you you made it to point Shintu and I agree with it I thought he was very well portrayed in this they they dug deep with him they you know they they talked about him sitting in the in the truck with the gun and the suicide they talked about hey, let's be honest I don't know if there's there, I I'm going to say this flat out there is not a player. We saw how Michael Jordan was in this documentary, right? There is not any other player in the world who could do things like <laughs> go missing and take a 72-hour vacation or show up on Monday Nitro, a wrestling show instead of being in practice during the finals and still not incur yeah. the wrath of Michael Jordan. So you know that right there i think just goes to tell you how important dennis was you know michael's <laughs> michael's not dumb you know he's not going to come for dennis in those situations right. he might run his mouth a little bit but he's not going to come for dennis yeah. because mm-hmm. he can't afford to lose dennis mm-hmm. so i i thought you know i i thought that was that was very well done um as well does uh anybody else have anything they want to um, add on dennis? for me the interesting thing with him was he talked about you know when he found out his role, he said, hey, you know, I can rebound and defend. And he can tell how the ball is going to come off the rim. How to, I was like, wow, that, that was amazing. I was like, you know, who studies that? And I was like, wow. that, that so, some, yeah. so for that, for me, I was like, wow, that was that was something. Yeah, I, th- I think we found out that Dennis was, was a lot smarter than what was portrayed back back in the, uh, those late 90s. I think back then, you know, we were, you know, first couple years in college. So we, we 
listen to the media more, so they kind of paint him to be just this loose cannon. But I think there was a lot of method to his madness as well. I mean, like I said, his rebound, his defense, he got in people's head. He hustled. He he just knew angles. He knew how to. He studied the the players before the games that that they didn't show us back back in the nineties mm-hmm. that they showed us on the last stand. So I thought. I thought just put Dennis Rodman in a great light, like Shintu said earlier. He might become a folk hero now. Yeah, I, I I think they struggle. I think without Dennis Rodman, not not to say that they don't still achieve their success because they might have been able to plug in another player who could do different things. But I think what Dennis brought to them definitely helped them defeat teams like the Knicks and the, the Pacers, teams that were physical and rough with them. You know. Um, that was the key to beating the Bulls that the Pistons had was to be physical with them. And then, you know, Dennis brought that over to combat these teams that were being physical with Jordan. Um, so I, I, I think it was key. Rick, is there anything uh, you yeah, want to add? So I think Rodman, I, I want, I wonder if the group thinks Rodman's like the first small ball center, mm-hmm. right? Like, is wow. that that guy? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he is. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Because he guarded five. He guarded, yeah, he guarded for five and four, especially when he went small with Tony Kukoc. When he played the four, Dennis had to play the five. Yeah. Yeah, you don't lose anything on defense. And then you, don't, you, you gain on rebounding. So it's really a, a, a great, great plus plus. That's a good, that's a good note because yeah. I don't, I don't remember anyone playing that position before Dennis. And Rodman was culturally ahead of us, I think. I, yes. I don't remember. Understanding yes. culture the way Rodman attacked it in the '90s. Right now, it's very open that you could be the way Rodman is, and it's like people don't care. But yes. Rodman was pushing barriers back. Oh, he yes. pushed it all. Yeah, right. yeah. It was way more conservative compared to today. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like when you think of it, when when um, what was it? Michael Sam was the guy's name. That, that Michael, was the yeah, from Mizzou. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yep. Mizzou. Yeah. Uh, you think about how big of a deal that yeah. was, but it was like 15 years before that that Dennis went on TV and was like, "I'm bisexual." Yeah, yeah. And then wore wore a wedding mm-hmm. dress and just yeah. went to a, like a book signing. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yo, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Dennis was definitely pushing boundaries. I think he pushed him so far that people were like, "Yo, he's just in his own space. Don't worry. Like nobody's going there." And then people joined yeah, him. Right, people joined right. him 15 years later. Yeah. Terrence, go ahead and talk to us a little bit now about the relationship between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, as was portrayed in The Last Dance. I have always had an interesting take on this, and um, once you're done, I want to go ahead and dig into that a little deeper with you. But go ahead and tell us, um, I know you were a big Kobe Bryant fan. Um, go ahead and tell us the relationship and the dynamic yeah, so, that was portrayed uh, Kobe, in this Kobe, may you rest in peace, him and Gigi. Um so before this, you know, I didn't know the closeness because, you know, old school, uh, and I'm going to take this to uh, Brett Favre and Green Bay Packers when Aaron Rodgers got drafted and he said, uh, you know, I'm not going to mentor him. He's going to sit behind me. And so, like, you know, for, for, yeah. for me to see that in documentary where, you know, he said, you know, Jordan, uh, we had a close relationship. And he said, you know, whatever you need, just call me. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, back then you really didn't see that, you know, you just kind of, you had to sit behind the superstar or the, or the vet and you kind of, you had to learn kind of just by watching, like they didn't mentor you. 
you know, they didn't have those talks with you per se. Well, uh, I wasn't in a circle, but, you know, I don't know that. But, you know, uh, outside looking in, uh, they didn't have that. But, you know, and for Kobe, like, coming to, like, when I was talking with you guys, like, 96, I was like, man, this dude's not going to be nothing. I was like, this dude. I mean, I watched KG. You know, KG had a decent year the, the, the year before that. And so Kobe comes out. I said, man, yeah. this guy, it's uh, not really going to be nothing. And then uh, you see him mimic Jordan. You know, the the, the way, he, well, maybe, maybe not so much the way he walks, but, you know, the way he chews gum or, you know, the way he attacks the game. And so. Yep. Yeah. And I believe yeah, Kobe so, himself then, even like, admitted back, to a lot of like, that. You start to see, like, after that uh, that playoff series in Utah where, like, he had the, what, two or three air balls. Yeah. And, you know, Shaq pulled him aside. He said, hey, man, you're going to get better, you mm-hmm. know, whatever, whatever. But then uh, that year he put on some muscle. And then, you know, he has a relationship with Jordan. He's, you, you start to see the greatness. Like, he's just, just showing out. Like, and Jordan said in the locker room, he's like, that little Laker boy, you know, he's going to take the game. He's not going to wait for it to come to him. He's going to take it. And it's just like you, you see those mm-hmm. like the same characteristics and I'm I'm bad about this. My my wife my wife says I'm I'm crazy about this now, but I'm like after Paul Pierce retired, Paul Pierce and Kobe Bryant, there's no more killers in the league. Like I wanna see a killer. I I wanna, <laughs> no. see, I wanna see somebody go out there and take the game, and that's yep. what Kobe did, and I think he learned that from Jordan. And like today, as I say, today's NBA great athletes but man it's a it's a 10 crumpet league like hey i see what you guys hey, did i there. catch put, put i catch i catch heat for it sometimes come on come on you knew you knew something was gonna happen sooner or later we didn't even we didn't even mention Tim Floyd in Iowa State being oh, replacement geez. for Phil Jackson. You hey. knew at some point I'll give for chuckling and starting the the I was like I, that made me think for a moment. I was like, did they just did they just put Paul Pierce and Kobe Bryant in the same league? Oh, now? that was hey. <laughs> that was that eight degrees of separation. They were hey, real close. But but uh, yeah. but shout out to Draymond Green because he said you thought you don't get the Kobe Bryant treatment, the farewell. No, D-Wade, I'm sorry, the D-Wade team, you know, the farewell tour, but, but, you know, say that, say this, uh, but, you know, I I was glad they had a close relationship, you know, he didn't call on him, you know, for anything, and he pretty much mimicked his game after him, and I think he, I think Jordan would be proud of Kobe's accomplishments. Yeah. Yeah, uh, people will people will ask me just to touch back on the killer instinct. People and I catch heat sometimes, and I, I get it. I understand why. There's different things that you can compare. And while I think LeBron has a great all-around game, maybe one of the greatest, a lot of times when people ask me, I put Kobe in front of mm-hmm. LeBron for the simple fact mm-hmm. that Kobe had a killer instinct, and 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 Kobe would step on your neck. LeBron won't. That to me, that's a difference. But staying on topic with the Kobe Jordan relationship, this is what I wanted to talk to you about, and you made a great point. Terrence when you said something about taking the game so I think as Jordan got to know Kobe Mm -hmm. he realized that Kobe was coming to take the game and Jordan I learned through this series is a storyteller and he was writing his own narrative so I think he figured well I can be on the right side of history or I can be on the wrong side of the history and I'll look better as a mentor to this guy and I do I'm not saying it that it was disingenuous but I think he felt I would look better as a mentor to the next greatest player 
than to just have this guy come for me and run over me. And their bond was, I will say, their bond was absolutely genuine. And unfortunately, Kobe Bryant's funeral taught me that when Michael stood up and talked. But I think at the time when, when, when Michael made the decision, I think he realized this kid's coming. This kid's going to be great. Right. It's going to look that. better for me to be mm-hmm. on the right side of history. I also think that they both had, they both were similar people as, um, in general. They were not likable people in terms of, in terms of, they didn't have strong friendships mm-hmm. with people for long periods. Kobe was known to not make really strong friendships with the players on the team and kind of be uh, on his own. And Michael yeah. was kind of known to have his own stratosphere, his own little world. Uh, outside of that team so I feel like they understood each other in the sense of uh, if I'm just going after this one thing and that's the only thing on my mind 24-7, 365 days a year then I'm going to have to remove my energy from all kinds of stuff including relationships, including just going after the thing, you know you want to get together for a beer? Nah man um, you want to get together on the basketball court? Let's do that, like I feel like those guys were, were making relationships based on mm-hmm. Do you want to be here with me? Do you want to do this thing? If not, then then I got goals and I got ideas and I got things that I'm going after. And it showed on the court that those guys cared passionately. They put in the work. So when it came down to it, they seemed like they weren't gonna let let it go. They're like they look. It looked like that's something from them. Um, and it's not what LeBron seems like. He doesn't. He seems like he's reaching for something and he gets it. But. Uh, Kobe and Michael were holding on to the thing the whole time and they're like I won't let go like that championship's mine before it ever came to me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anybody else want to add anything on the Kobe Michael relationship yeah I I think what's interesting is in modern basketball and I'm guilty of this too I would I used to say like oh back then these guys were not friends they were always enemies and now you come to find out, especially mm-hmm. in Michael's case, that he's like walking in, he's like at filming Space Jam and Reggie Miller comes to play and a whole bunch of guys come to play, yeah. right? Or he's walking into like mm-hmm. a, to go into the press conference in the finals and he's shaking Carl's hand. He's shaking John, John Stockton's hand. These guys were a lot closer than they let you tell the story now. Mm-hmm. That you know, that because mm-hmm. right now we go like, oh, these guys are all buddies and they just team up and they go on the same team. It, but you kind of learn like they were yeah. a little bit tighter than we thought back then. You know, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think once the ball went up, the competitive juices were different than they are in the current NBA. But I will say it did show it did show a lot of that. Uh, and I even saw that yeah. when uh, yeah. in the Indiana series uh, when they yes. beat with Larry Bird afterwards. Yes. It was yes. almost like he sought Larry yes. out, like out of respect. So it was the first time that I saw Michael right, almost right, looking right. up to a contemporary, so to speak. And Michael did say for him, his goal was to be yeah. with Larry and Michael, like the, uh, Larry and Magic. That was, but that was the first time that they pulled back the curtain, and you could actually see that. So I, I do think you're right with that, Rick. I think things yes. again, yes. narrative and storytelling. Things were presented a certain way to fuel the fires to of a championship, but it was not necessarily that way behind scenes where I think now again, different NBA, but things are just maybe a bit more transparent and there's no, uh, you know, the curtains pulled back and there's no fourth wall. Um, 
thank you guys very much for your individual topics. Uh, I thought you all did great and had, had great points um, that you all came up with. So I definitely appreciate it. I want to open it up now, and this is going to be for the whole group to to chime in. Um, so just pipe up whenever you want to on the subject. But I want to go now, and I want to talk about some other subjects from the series. <laughs> and I want to start with horse. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait, did Horace do uh, so, in this whole blast band? Uh, I don't know. Uh, no. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. Um so let's go to Horace Grant and let's start let's start with the whole the first question I guess I'll ask you guys. Sam Smith writes a book, The Jordan Rules. Do you guys it was alluded to in the series and I'm not sure if Michael so much came out and said it, but it was definitely alluded to. And, and I know some other people were on saying that Michael felt it was Horace Grant. Do you think Horace Grant was the mole or do you think there's anything to that? Or is that just Michael being paranoid? And I mean, obviously somebody probably had to give Sam Smith this information, no, but didn't necessarily was, have to be I don't think it was a uh, teammate. I don't think it was Horace Grant. I think, uh, I think maybe he did, maybe he did add some stuff to it. I think, like the documentary said, it probably was Michael Jordan that added some to it. I think it was some coaches, Jerry Krause. I think it was. I, I think it was. Uh, it was mm-hmm. probably all. All probably everyone contributed to that article, but everyone's pointing a finger at Horace Grant because it was easy scapegoat. And he never did. And he never stood up for himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. then Horace in the documentary, yeah. then he said that he was close yeah. to Sam Smith, if I remember yeah. correctly. He was friends. He was so. Yeah, so yeah, he does that, say he's close to six. Go right there. So it's like, hey, <laughs> this guy is over here writing. So hey, I mean, but uh, I'm like, yeah, it, it, it's probably just like it wasn't only Horace. I'm sure it was some other individuals. <laughs> hey, hey. Um. So in that. From, from what I understand, and because I, I did do a little bit of research on this, and this is something I didn't realize, I guess apparently Horace and Scotty were extremely nah. close. So I, I, I did not realize this, but Horace and Scotty were extremely close. They hung out a lot. They used to buy the same cars. They used to go clothes shopping together. They had a very close relationship. There is some talk there that Michael was jealous of their relationship, but there was also some talk of the, the issue between Horace and Michael being was that Scotty was in the middle and Scotty would be with Jordan and Michael would do certain things or say certain things that would make Scotty feel picked upon or bullied. He would then go back to Horace and Horace had no problem standing up to Michael and defending Scotty. So do you think maybe that's why, if any of this is true, could that be a potential reason why Jordan chose to maybe sort of vilify Horace or kind of push Horace out of town? That's a good point. Jeez. I would say, man, if, if, if Michael did do documentary and have some creative input or something in the documentary and he did do that, then I feel like it's really petty because the reality is, is that championships with guys and you spend that many years with guys in close quarters there's going to be some things about those relationships that make those relationships work but a lot of it's the tension a lot of it is is the fact that yeah scotty needs an outlet when he gets bashed by michael and so he has and michael who is like a a stern kind of teacher and a stern mentor Uh, so all those things are all those parts and pieces are necessary and i think horace plays his part i feel like michael says what he says about horace being the mole 
with not as much intent to go, yes, he was the mole. I don't think he realizes that Horace probably feels more hurt by that if he wasn't the mole than Michael feels like, you know, mm-hmm. he's not coming at Horace that hard. He doesn't think he is, but he doesn't realize that Horace is hurt. That, hey man, don't don't say that, don't spread that because I feel like, yeah, it's obvious. I'm sure it's obvious because he was friends with Sam Smith uh, that, that that's possible. But I feel like uh, in that case, I think Horace is just stepping up and, and speaking up for himself when he hasn't spoken up for so long. Because I think it's hard. If you speak up against Michael, there's just so many repercussions in so many ways. Even now, even now, even to this day, I don't know if anybody can speak, if, if anybody's friends with Michael or if anybody's close to Michael. I don't know if they can speak honestly about Michael without wondering if their relationship is in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Maybe Phil Knight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So another thing that was pointed out in this documentary, and that was handshakes. <laughs> handshakes became a big topic, and I want to segue into my next topic. While still, I am going to touch back though to the '95 playoff series between the Magic and the Bulls in a minute. But the Detroit Pistons, the bad boys. They played a huge role, I feel, in Michael Jordan's legacy. Because that rivalry, I feel, is what kind of created this Michael Jordan that that we saw. Um, It's well documented. They didn't like each other. The Pistons beat the crap out of Michael the first few years. I mean, they really, they, they battered him around. Dennis was a part of that. Lambeer, you know, they, they battered them around. We saw this rivalry between... Um, Isaiah Thomas and, and Michael Jordan developed, which led to Detroit losing in the Eastern Conference Finals and then walking off the court and not shaking hands with any of the Bulls. I feel this was so important to the legacy and that this was a defining moment because this is who the bad boys were. If the bad boys go and they shake hands and all goody-goody like the current NBA is, then they're not the bad boys. They're the good guys. They're the best friends league and everybody's best friends. This was poignant to, I believe, the story because this because if, if Detroit goes and shakes hands, it's this insignificant story. We don't even talk about it. But because they didn't go and shake hands, look how big of a story it was and look how big of a piece it played in the documentary. But to me, that's just competitiveness. I mean, we saw that with the Celtics the year before. I mean, barely uh, they barely got handshakes out of Larry Bird and Kevin McHale. And Jordan, I feel, makes more out of this because, hey, listen, mm-hmm. every Superman needs a Lex Luthor, right? So that was Isaiah Thomas. So Michael, again, in writing this narrative and writing this story, painted the, the Pistons as the villains, and specifically Isaiah Thomas as his Lex Luthor, and them not shaking hands was this epic kryptonite moment. But in 95, when the Bulls lose to the Magic in the Eastern Conference Finals, I tried to watch as much video as possible, and again, I'm going to give Michael the benefit of the doubt, and I only have the certain camera angles that there were, but in all the videos that I saw, Michael Jordan goes and shakes one hand, and, that's, and I'll give him, that was one more hand than the Pistons shook, but he goes and shakes one hand, and wow. that's a next player, He never goes over, he never goes over, he never goes over and says anything to his former teammate, Horace Grant, congratulating him. Now, maybe behind, again, backstage, maybe they had a conversation. 
never says anything to what the potential future of the league at that time was. Shaquille O'Neal, nothing. Shakes one hand, and he, along with the rest of the team, storm off the court. But so little attention is paid to that in the documentary. It's not, they don't even mention that. But such a huge portion was put in the Pistons not shaking hands. Now, obviously, of course, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be up front. I was a huge Pistons fan. So, of course, this, this has, you know, I'm going to take Isaiah side here. But talk to me a little bit. Uh, just, again, is, is it semantics? Is it gamesmanship? Is this, this to me, is, is what we learned about Michael Jordan. He, was, he did whatever he needed to do to create in his mind a reason to be angry and a reason to play great. Like he, he needed that. He needed to create things. So was it manipulation or what was it? Like what, how do you guys, why do you think he was this way? Like, why do you think he had to to ignite fire? So with Michael, I think two things can always be true. Right. I think he could see Isaiah and say, that's the second best point guard ever. Right. The best small man ever like a competitor that mm-hmm. bests me in a bunch of different ways. And I also dislike the guy and I will take a shot out of him every chance I get, <laughs> right? Like I think both of those things can live mm-hmm. in his mind and he can execute against both those things all the time, right? I think he could, when you question him about basketball and Isaiah, he tells you one thing. He says, Isaiah is the best small guard that I ever played, you know, that ever played the game. Mm-hmm. And then when you ask him, what was Isaiah like, like a person? I hate the guy. And I want him, I don't want him on a dream team, right? I, I think that's who Michael is. And we'll, we find that, we knew that. I don't think that's new. Um, but I also mm-hmm. think Isaiah didn't do himself any favors in the doc. He could have just said, I don't, I, I hate it. Sure, guy. sure. And I wanted to win. And yeah, I think people would have been like, you know what? Yeah. That's okay. So. <clears throat> Uh, and and notoriously, there's there's been several times where Isaiah hasn't right. done. It. I mean, as a huge Isaiah Thomas fan, I'll admit that there's been several times where right. Isaiah hasn't done himself any favors. So, show of hands, based off that, because you mentioned it, Rick. Uh, does anybody in this chat believe when Michael tries to play it off in the series? Do, does anybody? He had everything to do with Michael it. Had he had everything to do with it. Yeah, he has something to do with it. He is the only reason. The only reason. Yeah, it was smooth. He, he tried to, to yeah. play it off. He tried to play mm-hmm. it off. You know, say, uh, okay. Um, so let's now Barcelona. Obviously, a huge time for all of us. I mean, we, you know, we all were thrilled about the dream team. We, you know, R- Ricardo and, and Shintu and I, you know, countless backyard games and our, our dream team jerseys um this it was huge for us in 92 i thought one of the coolest things about the entire documentary uh and maybe it's just because barcelona was so special to mm-hmm. me was the scrimmage that they showed the footage of of the scrimmage um did anybody else find that as amazing as i did or you know is it weird i just i thought that was so great and then i thought it was absolutely hilarious to see magic talking trash and that fueling jordan um, I, I just thought that was one of the best parts of the documentary. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you, Ty. Yeah, I thought that was – I've watched the scrimmage before, uh, but it was good to see it again. It just shows you the comp- just how competitive Jordan was, no matter if it was with the Bulls, Dream Team, a practice, he, a, a real game in the Olympics. He didn't care who you was. He was going to come at you. And if you made him mad, he was going to come at you uh, even more. And I thought – but I thought what was interesting was that it took Magic Johnson to say a joke on a bus to – level to to make light of the situation when he said hey don't talk trash to jordan must have pissed him off 
you know. So I, I, that just tells you who Jordan was. That just that just is the, just who he is yeah. as, a, as a competitor. Yep. Yeah, we'll just oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, so just, uh, go ahead. Just, just yeah. No, no, go ahead. Scrimmage, and then I remember there was another documentary before this, like kind of on the Dream Team. I forgot what it was, but uh, there was a there was the uh, situation where Magic and Bird were just I just kind of sitting in, and I guess Jordan came in. I think it was I think it was Magic said there's a new sheriff in town, something like that. And so it was like a, mm-hmm. almost like a, a, a passing of the mm-hmm. torch, like okay. We've held we've held it down for this many years, so now it's your turn to yeah. take it. So we recognize it, we see it, and so now it's your turn to take it on. Does uh, Marvin made uh, a point there about um, Magic having to kind of break the ice on the bus? Does anybody have an issue? Because again, I think this was I think this was made crystal clear in this documentary. Does anybody have an issue with Michael Jordan creating um, stories or rivalries to propel himself and motivate himself? I don't. Does anybody have I an issue? I don't because, uh, listen, you either make them or Delonte oh! West makes them for you. So. Oh. <laughs> 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 you no, know hey, I was going to say, Ty, you know, I make, it's funny because uh, uh, I was thinking about this. Yeah, I make, I mean, I make things up at work. Yeah, just to get, just to get myself going. Like I'll, I'll make up situations saying this person doesn't like me. Wait, 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 Marvin, uh, as an accountant, I, I don't think you would. No, no, not numbers. No. <laughs> I make up stuff all the time. People are like, "Hey, this person, this person doesn't think I'm smart enough." So I go out there and do, you know, you just do stuff. You just motivate yourself differently. Yeah. I think that's yeah. how Jordan. Yeah. That's how he did it. He yeah. just motivated himself to go at somebody. He's, you know, that guy didn't say anything to him. But he said the guy did, so he, he scored forty points on him just because he needed that extra motivation. That just, I mean, it's just a, it's just who, like I said, it's just who he is. He's he's a he's an ultimate gold medal a hole. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know <laughs> yeah. what's great about yeah. it, Marvin? I think is yeah. is that what Todd mentioned earlier mm-hmm. is that yeah. now you can really yeah. see. At that time, it was hard when we watched uh, those teams win those championships. It was difficult to see what the price of greatness was. It was just greatness. It was awesome. Like all you saw was Mike being like just amazing, and 20 years later you look back and you're like the price of greatness is that you sometimes even continue to believe those stories even if they're long gone and long over with, and you continue to hold grudges yep. and you continue to not be able to reconcile with people, and you hold new grudges. You continue to you know live in in a way that mm-hmm. somehow you even function that way in your world outside of basketball so i feel like that's the price he paid is that the he had to see the world that way in order to succeed but i think it was very hard for him to pull out of that i think he still sees the world like he'll never he'll never actually admit like steve kerr is someone who will admit to you straight up like what he'll have an honest assessment of his failures michael jordan will never give you an honest assessment of his failures because I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's possible for Mike. I don't think he can see the world in a way where he's not still fighting, he's not still against something, he's not still writing a story. Uh, and I think he'll go to the end to his death writing stories about what mm-hmm. he thinks is going on and, and to motivate himself to become a better businessman or better whatever in life. But I think it is a price. Now you can see the price being paid is that it's... it's He's been friends with Bar- John, Charles Barkley for over 30 years. 
I hear that he does not speak with him anymore at this time uh, because of, of some con- some controversial comments that are not even controversial. Some some honest comments about. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be, well, let's be honest, Charles probably beat him in golf or, or took money from him in a stuff. bet or something. Uh, yeah. Bobcats when he was with as TNT as a broadcaster, and that's what you're supposed yeah. to do. You, yeah. know, you can't really hold friendships well. in that way, but you know, for Mike, it was that if you're loyal to me, you're loyal to me to the death. You cannot, uh, and I think that uh, yeah. for Mike, his biggest undoing yeah. without Jerry Krause, without Phil Jackson, and his biggest undoing in his life since then has been that if you ask what Mike, the greatness of Michael, what he had around him then and what he never had around him since then is people who'd say no to him. People who'd say, yo, that's not right. It's not true. And yeah. Michael put yes men around him when he got powerful. And I think it's really hurt him. I think it's really hurt him uh, in front office ways. It's hurt him in uh, relationship ways. I think that hopefully maybe uh, before this is all over, he might have 20 years of ownership and many more years of life. Um, hopefully, he softens a little bit. I think that's what because I think people would embrace Michael even more. I think the argument of Michael versus LeBron wouldn't even exist if Michael was softer. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so two two things uh, quickly. I want to get on to um, still staying on that whole. I, so I don't have an issue. Uh, whatever it takes to get you to the finish line, I don't have an issue with that. So if it took Michael creating stories, creating rivalries, whatever in his head to motivate him to push yourself. I mean, Marvin, you said it on the same way um, at work myself. Maybe maybe not making up stories that people, that people don't like me, but but I want to beat people. I want, you know, I want to, if, if, if there's an event, I want my team to look the best at that event and i preach that to my team and i you know i speak that into existence so i don't have any trouble with with rivalries um motivating uh shintu the second thing i wanted to touch on was you uh saying that people speaking about lebron and michael in a certain way (laughs) um and here comes the second kansas drop-in of the 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 todd cast but uh Former Kansas head coach Roy Williams was on the documentary and um, was talking later on. I heard a clip where he was saying that kids come in now and ask him who's the greatest player of all time. Is it Kobe? Is it LeBron? Is it Michael? He laughs at them and says it's not even close. It's Michael. Um, Now, again, here's a guy that knew him, coached him in college. Uh, Would you guys agree or disagree with Roy Williams when he says it's not even close. It's Michael. Mm. That's a tough one. Oh, I think I, th- I think we forget. Ooh, I, it, it's I, closer than it's closer than Roy would like to. Roy would like I mean, to. I, I personally yeah, think forget they're forgetting that, Wilt Chamberlain. There's other players. I mean, you got like I said, Will. You have, and then you know, Kareem. You know, Kareem wasn't a slouch either. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. Yeah, but got an argument. If you want to speak of, the, of those three players, I think Jordan is is the greatest of LeBron and and Kobe. But I, I do think sometimes we forget about LeBron. Is that he did take no matter what conferences he did take a team to eight straight finals. That's you know that's insane. That that's back in the UCLA days. That's back in the Boston mm-hmm. in the sixty days. So he, that, mm-hmm. that 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 means something. And but without, Jordan without was just the a different beast. Without the continuity of really amazing coaches, I mean he he. True, true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're looking mm-hmm. back, Eric Spolstra. 
that's it you know um that's what you have in terms of like a pat riley kind of play a coach that that's coached them but he he didn't he didn't uh imagine michael leaving for bat, uh, foot baseball and coming back a year and a half later and essentially coming back to the same team with tony kukoc you know yeah that's uh, what happened that's crazy yeah. the yeah. kind of continuity yeah. that michael had yeah. around him yeah. to melt to, to kind mm-hmm. of just you know kind of melt into all of that and know all of those people and plug himself back in and after just a small hiccup win three straight titles after that uh so i think it's hard to it's hard to compare i agree that on the footage you can see that michael and kobe have a different kind of pedigree than than even any of the other players even magic even bird like bird maybe bird bird maybe had some kind of you know a pedigree like that but i feel like those guys had something that said hey we are we are like this is ours and you'll have to take it from us lebron doesn't have that i feel like but i also feel that lebron doesn't have that because he didn't have the support and the continuity of of the kind of uh of, of the kind of continuity that has that that existed in chicago for those 8 years even while michael was Todd, Todd, let me let me let me say one thing um and that's because a couple uh, quick questions have, um, yep. jerry yep. kraus as his gm mm-hmm. that that would have helped him a lot too and then and just to go off of kobe kobe would have six championships if it wasn't for a ku player named paul pierce mvp of 2008 finals <laughs> stopping that <laughs> oh man oh boy <laughs> laugh for the from the corner i love it i love it marvin from the corner um <laughs> um so So let me throw a couple questions at you guys. Uh some of them will be just, you know, one or two word answers, some of them maybe a little bit longer. Um Jordan got a little bit of a rap of a bully coming out of this. Michael Jordan. Bully would not use more manipulator. Bully? Um looking back now how we judge people if you take the 2020 version of life, yes, he was bullying people. But back then that's how you kind of like worked and played and competed. It's really hard sometimes to go back and judge, mm-hmm. you know, with 20 years of experience, right? So, yeah. Um what 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 what's he supposed to do sure. during that time with the Pistons and right. stuff? Like what are you what are you going to do? You're going to let your guys just stand there and be weak about it. So I I get yeah. I get that that it was the kind of a flavor of the day and it was the time. Uh and it wouldn't they, nobody would really stand for it today, I think in terms of uh people just don't want to see that type of uh, they want to see more harmony in some way winning is winning is important but it's not as important mm-hmm. i will say um i will i will say that jordan was yeah. he wasn't a bully because i think a bully is somebody who doesn't do the work so if you come to school with lunch money somebody takes your lunch money and you see they bring money to the table jordan, jordan to me was yep he, he was a master manipulator that used bully tactics but he was always there like jordan if he if he had if he told you to run he was running with you yeah. if he yeah. told you to come to practice he was at practice with yeah. you right. so it wasn't like he was just a bully getting all the benefits yes. he actually put the work into it which which you you say that and that reminds me of the story that cracked me up in this series when they were talking about um running laps in the gym and Jordan was trying to get everybody to go to go slow yeah. and Dennis freaking lapped them 
and they all had to, to catch, they all had to catch up to him. Um, so he was definitely I, I give you that, Marvin. He was definitely running with his team. Um, Reggie Miller said Jordan should not apologize for anything. Uh, he I did agree. To win. I mean, agree or disagree with that? Story. It was it was bully man, manipulator tactics, but he it was at all costs, like win at all costs. It, it was just um, yeah, I, I, he shouldn't apologize. Um, as I remember, uh, a young Marvin McDonald back in uh, 97, 98 intramural team, give me the ball, I get out of my way. <laughs> and he carried wait, us. Wait, wait, what happened in that game? Did you win? <laughs> he, no, yeah, he carried us. We, <laughs> won. we won one game. We probably got blown out the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> he had, and, and Ricky had, he had two or three points. He said, pass me the ball. Okay. And get out of my way. And I said, okay, sir. <laughs> hey, hey, we hung with Jared Haas's team for a few minutes, <laughs> and then not so much. Um, hey, but the two minutes I guarded them, I held them scoreless. So there you go. That was something. Off of that, though, in this all seriousness, again, storyteller, narrative writer, um, do we believe was this right. was this the flu? Because that was also weird to me. Why not just let this stay the flu game? If you're the storyteller and the author of this. Why not just let it stay the flu game? Because none of us gave this a second thought. I feel like they threw more controversy onto this by even bringing it up because I just always thought he had the flu and it was amazing performance because he looked like he had the flu to me. But now they made us think about it. So was it the flu? Was it the food poisoning? Which I got to admit is a weird story because 1030 at night you're getting pizza in they weren't even in Salt Lake City. They were staying outside of Salt Lake City. So that was also a, a weird part of the way they told the story. But anyway, uh, and then five guys come to the door. And then the, however many people are in your room don't eat the pizza, but you eat the whole pizza. So now you have food poisoning. So a, a legit serious question, though. Do we think flu, pizza, or do we maybe think that this was just something as simple as you were staying in a hotel in the mountains of Utah? Could it have just simply been altitude sickness like uh, what do we what do we think out of he was definitely sick i'm not i'm by no means saying that he was 100 healthy in that game and he was just he was sick you could i mean you saw it but i just i just it just seemed so weird to me why they just wouldn't let this well i don't think i don't know what's your guys take on i think the way the announcer described the symptoms is what made us call it the flu game and then we connected that to okay. merchandise and Fair all enough. that stuff. Fair enough. And then it mm-hmm. became like a legend on its own. But it own. worked out. But it worked and so why ruin a good story, right? Michael's like, well, I'm selling more shoes. What What, what am I going to do? What do I care? <laughs> yeah. 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 And he won the game, so that, that made yeah. me better. And, and one, of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes that I that came out of that series, which I love, I love yes. in the beginning of yeah. that when they were in the team huddle and Michael's like, let's give him something to boo about. I thought that was such a boss quote, man. I, I love that. That's, that's, great. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. what you do. You're in enemy territory, and let's let's give him something to boo about. So, um, I, I I definitely love that part. Um, for you guys, uh, particular, and I realize we may not have all been Bulls fans or or uh, Jordan fans, but uh, of the the six championships, was there any? Oh, championship mine that was stood out the 1991, the first one. Yes, sir. Because. You know, I was or what eleven or twelve years old. We were, you know, that's when you were becoming a real big Michael Jordan fan, and you just you just so happy that he finally got over. You know, I like the bad boys. He finally got over the bad boys, and for him to go against Magic Johnson in the finals, that was just a, that was just epic TV. 
And then mm-hmm. it was his first. He he needed to get it. It was a great, great series. I mean, I, I think that was my by far my favorite ninety one championship. I I agree. And ninety one game two, Scotty moves to guard Magic. Series over. Yep. Simple. Mm-hmm. Simple. Uh, 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 for me, I would say the last one because I know it's like yeah. the last I'm gonna see of him <laughs> and this. The, the, this greatness. I mean, it, it was a gentle push off. They're going to say it's a push off. It, it, it's very gentle. You didn't buy the momentum story? Did I buy the momentum story? It, it, it's a very gentle push off. Yeah. Hey, he plays on his toes, right? That's, that's a, he plays on his toes. It was his own fault. Listen, Michael was telling that story like Brian Russell was wearing those, those shoes that have the little skates in the base. I mean, uh, come on, hey. man. Hey, hey, you know this? <laughs> hey, Shinju, you know this guy who's talking about pushing? You know guy who's talking about hey, pushing man, right I, now, right? Okay. <laughs> it was a slight look. You might not be the expert. Hey, you might not be the expert. Hey, you guys have all seen the footage and from many angles of that last shot in 1998. Okay. Imagine looking back in history as you watch that shot swish through, you hear a whistle. <laughs> 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 oh, that'd be uh, that'd be bad. Yeah, that'd be that's embarrassing. You gotta give that you gotta give that ref some credit, man. That was a historical moment. He didn't fuck that. Who was that? Was Dick calling that game? I bet he's gotta be on that game. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh, good, good, good stuff with that. Um, for me, again, I, I was. I appreciated Jordan. I appreciated the Bulls. Uh, as I mentioned, I, as a young kid, I was a Detroit fan, so I didn't necessarily have a favorite Bulls championship. But I think the most significant for me um, was the one against Seattle. Because, number one, I thought that was a great series in 96. But more, I think, for me, it gave us, to me, it gave us one of the all-time moment sports um, photos. Uh, to me, I put it right up there with, you know, Ali standing oh. over Frazier. Yeah. Uh, and that's Jordan collapsing yeah. on the floor of the locker room. Um, after winning the first championship without his father. Uh, I thought that was just an iconic sports moment. And so that one always kind of resonated with me. Uh, if I had to pick a favorite Bulls championship, uh, it, it would be that one. Um, one of you mentioned uh, the 91 one with the Lakers and um, the Bulls. James Worthy sprains his ankle going into that series. So James Worthy not at 100%. But... And I think I'll probably get a consensus, but I'm just curious to to James Worthy, Michael Jordan, teammates at UNC. Has there been a greater, more legendary tandem have, to come out of college? They have eleven championships in the NBA. Does Worthy have five championships? Jordan and Worthy. Did, did Paul Pierce play did, with Ray for friends? Oh, <laughs> stop this! No, we can put Mario Chalmers and Paul together, and we're good. I think that's the combo. Touche. <laughs> Well, Paul Pierce from LA, so Paul Pierce and LA is the coach of the a career trajectory for Paul Pierce. Uh, 20 years from now, Bill Walton. Oh, 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 heck no. No, I hope not. Uh, listen, oh. a champion, Bill Walton, a champion. Uh, but clearly not yes. the best judge of what's really, you know, Going what's on. really happening on yeah. the floor in terms of 
uh, 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 you know, you Paul Pierce has been getting a call about GM positions. <laughs> Wait a minute! You don't think Paul could pick better than Kwame Brown in the first round? No, I, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. But I feel like uh, <laughs> I, I feel like there's a reason why I, I, I somehow see Paul in tie dye T-shirts uh, somewhere in the future. The tie dye. <laughs> we hope not. Right. <laughs> so my my final question for you guys as, as we come down to the the end of this uh which has been great i've really enjoyed talking about this with you guys uh was there anything about the last dance this uh 10 series uh 10 episode docuseries was there anything about this that just absolutely surprised you was was there one topic that just kind of like blew you away kind of blew you out of the water like wow i'll go for it i wouldn't know this or or i I never knew this was going on as a kid, I ever saw Michael talk about race, and this was the first time I saw him address race in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And so that was a nice touch. I will say mm-hmm. the way the way Phil Jackson mm-hmm. handled this team, and the way he handled like the Dennis Rodman situation, and how he did not allow that to distract the team. He just went to Michael Jordan and said, "Hey Jordan, I'm gonna let uh, Dennis Rodman go for for 48 hours to go party." <laughs> and for him to be gone for actually three days, and when he gets back, it didn't. I remember when it happened back in the night. The media made it seem like it was going to devastate the Bulls, but behind the scenes, the Bulls were like, "Oh, okay. Uh, once it gets back, we'll we'll figure it out." Like that type of leadership that Phil showed was. I, I just think that that has to be up there with one of the one of the. He has to be one of the greatest coaches or in in, in the history of any sport. The way he handled that team and the and the, and the, and the personalities that he had. Um, I think for me, starting out and you know leading up all to the all the way to the end, you know that this is the last dance. But then you get to the final episode of Jerry Reinsdorf is like, I was gonna overwrite everything. I was gonna bring people back. I'm like, whoa, what? Yeah, so I'm like, whoa, why did you bring everybody back? Yeah, but, that was uh, a little, yeah, know, that was a little weird. Uh, they, yeah, they they finished it off. You know, they're, they're you know they're a great team, but uh, but I, I think. With Jerry Krause, you know, saying this is last, you know, Phil's might come back next year, blah, blah, blah. Beginning of the year, I think that just soured things. And so by the time Jerry Reinsdorf said, I'll overwrite everything, I'll bring you back. You know, Phil's already hurt. It's like, nope, this is it. So <laughs> so that was it for me. I really enjoyed the documentary. I, I thought it was a great look inside. Obviously, it's written one way. It's The narrative is written one way. But I can't blame Jordan for that. I, I, I don't think anybody, you know... Uh, we're going to see in a couple of years, I'm sure there's going to be a Kobe Bryant one. Great players, they write their own ending. They write their own narrative. <laughs> Kobe Bryant doesn't go out in his last game the way scoring they want to. two points. Kobe Bryant yep. goes out in his last game scoring. Like, the great ones go out. Uh, they write their own story. Yeah, they, they write they write their story. Call it manipulation. Call it whatever you want. They write their narrative, and I can't I can't blame them for that. So I thought the series was great, especially, you know, the timing of it also was, was perfect. I mean, again, sucks what's going on in the world with the pandemic, but I think the fact that, you know, for five weekends in a row on a Sunday night, we were able to sit back and kind of relive our childhood. Uh, I, I thought well, it was, John, I was, was a great series. Uh, anybody else have any final I, I, say I on it? Uh, we I will say that I was a little hard on Michael during this time. Uh, partly because I think that he suffers from 
not being able to let go of those things from 20 years ago and 25 years ago. And I would like to see Michael happier and and with all of his friends around him and be be kind of talked about by his closest friends the way he's talked about by all of us that are far away from him. Uh, because I think a lot of people do feel that way about him, but have a tough time uh, kind of admitting that in, in those ways because Michael has been so uh, so stout in how what his stance is on so many things with so many people. But overall, I still recognize Michael to be kind of a transcendent player, and I still think the greatest of all time uh, until someone comes along who can kind of will things the way he did. Uh, so I, I, having been hard on Michael, I will admit that that doesn't change that Michael is the greatest of all time and perhaps I will never understand because I don't have that instinct I'll never understand what the price is and maybe he's just paying that price because he needed to do that you know yep I, I definitely oh, I no, definitely I'll would say, agree with that um, I enjoyed the, um, the, the uh, documentary go, Marvin, but the you? musical Sorry. production like when Tripod Quest came out, her five dogs. Marvin, 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 yeah. Marvin. Michael Jordan can't pick out any of those yes. artists or those songs. I don't understand how they married the music. I agree with you. I would buy the album, but that's not him. He's li- he was listening to Kenny Lattimore or some crap. Yeah. I don't even know what he was doing. <laughs> Yo, they have, they have a whole uh, Twitter, Twitter handle dedicated to that. <laughs> To a Jordan, Jordan Jams at Jordan Jams, but uh, <laughs> but like I said, man, the the musical production with the times, man. When I heard Tribe, I was like, man, I got emotional. My wife was like, are you for real? And I was like, hey, this, this is Fife dog, like you know, it's Tribe. Yeah, it's Tribe. But uh, tribe. but yeah, overall, man, it was a great documentary, man. I really enjoyed hell it. yeah, it's Tribe, man. I would say, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I thought I thought the, uh, the, the the it was it was it was really well done. Um, I'm glad that it was able to. Yeah, you know that was our heyday. You know, ninety one through ninety eight was mm-hmm. was we grew up in that era, and for them to redo this and you kind of go back to how you was feeling at that time, and then you can look behind the scenes and see some stuff that was uh, going on that you didn't know about because you was too young to understand. I I thought they did a great job of bringing that stuff full forward. So so yeah, a one a one to uh, ESPN and and Netflix that did this. Question to Todd: Todd, what do you think Netflix is going to do with this series when they get it? I don't understand the mm-hmm. backing here. Uh, you know, so I don't, so, and I guess, obviously, I would think that in this scenario, for those of you who don't know what Rick is speaking about, this was originally pre pandemic. This was supposed to air on Netflix. Was it in May or was it the summer? It was. It was definitely wasn't this early, right? This summer. Okay. It was supposed to air this money. summer. Okay. I think probably what happened, Rick, obviously, was ESPN probably went and paid a lot of money to Netflix to have this done. Now, if I'm Netflix, what I would hope and what I would think, if you're smart, I would hope you have a lot of bonus footage that's usable, that's actually like interesting, not just like, eh. Um, that's how I would try to spin this. I would try to, to spin this as, hey, uh, you know, give this like maybe a month right. or two and then be like, hey, we've got these, you know, exclusive extended editions of The Last Dance and then try to build up some hype around that. Yeah, because they def well, so two things, two things. So uh, they definitely, they definitely lost, you could look at it and say mm-hmm. they lost, you know, viewers 
viewership or subscription here as if it, they did it as a first run. But I also think everything went up in the air because I just saw an interview、oh, yeah. with the head of Netflix yesterday, and he was saying subscriptions are at an all-time high and that everything has skyrocketed since the pandemic. So、uh, you know they're not hurting there,、um, but I do think that is is interesting because yes, this series had a completely different fate prior to the pandemic, and that was changed. Uh, with, with the pandemic, so yeah,、um, it's, yeah. it's interesting. I, I think it honestly, I think it played better on ESPN. I, I, I really do.、Um, you know, I, I would have went to Netflix and watched it as well, but I, you、yeah. know, sometimes things are just meant to be and, and happen a certain way. And I, I think it's it had a better fate you know, playing on ESPN. My again, my thing now would be send it to Netflix and hopefully they have some bonus footage.、Um, you know, the future players for Netflix might be to, when everything you know, gets back get to normal. It's for them to do some, some games on Netflix, something in conjunction with ESPN. Yeah, that'd be nice. Oh, Netflix, And welcome back into the final segment of this very special random thoughts and best regards. We are taking a look at the last dance, and right now it is my pleasure to welcome onto the show a man who has sat next to me for many years as my broadcast colleague, Saul Urena. Saul, my man. My good man, to have you on. Todd. Hey, I'm, I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I, I, I'm doing great. And hey, you know what? I've said it before on other episodes. I'll say it again. This wouldn't be happening without you because you were one of the main people who. Talked me into getting back, and and I gotta admit, I'm、uh, I'm loving it. I'm loving、oh. loving doing it again. So thanks for kind of giving me that shot in the arm and the confidence to get out here and do this again. You're you're a maniac, man. Yeah, I just <laughs> I just I just pointed you in the right direction, and and you're you're doing the rest, and and it's freaking awesome. So、yep. keep it up for real. Yep. And everybody's gotta check out Saul's life too. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Check out my podcast, Saul's Life, if you ever get a chance. Uh, right here on Anchor and everywhere else, you get Todd's podcast as well. So we're good. All right. So I had the fellows on earlier. We dug in pretty deep about the Last Dance. There's some things I want to throw at you. First of all, I want to start. I'm curious,、uh, and I'll get a little deeper in a second because I'm curious as a Knicks fan growing up during this time period. I am curious for、uh, certain subjects with you. But the one thing I want to start off right out of the gate is kind of high level.、Um, my impression. Of this, what my takeaway from this, and and I'd like to know yours. My takeaway from this was that winning and leadership has a price. What was your high level takeaway from the last dance? Ah,、uh, I mean, that 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 might be it right there. It it's it shows the difference between it really does this generation of basketball players and the generation、um, like before us or before them.、Mm-hmm. Because a, a lot of those guys came from, you, you know, maybe not as well off as some of these kids are today. Yeah. That, that are playing the sport. Great point.、Mm-hmm. So I feel like, with that being said, I, I think that's a little bit of the hunger factor, a little bit of the,、um, 
like kind of where the intensity comes because you know Michael Jordan and, and and Barkley and these players for the most part need you know we're looking at this as a as a means to survive. There wasn't mm-hmm. a a social media business they could jump into. You know there wasn't something yeah. else like you know like we have now so many options that distract that I feel they're distractions for for athletes. That's why I don't think we're getting the best uh, the best competition that we should be getting because because these guys are a lot faster and stronger than they were back then. Yep, I, I definitely agree with that because, you know, Jordan was was about the game, you know, and, and that's that's his everything about him was the game. Everything that came outside was ancillary, all the sponsorships, everything else, you know, that that was kind of all ancillary where now I'm not sure everybody's focus is always on the game first. I, I believe they're looking to how they can kind of follow in that Jordan mold. Uh, well, and be like Michael Jordan before even necess- before even putting in the work that Jordan put in. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, absolutely. And, and, mm-hmm. and you, you nailed it right on the head. Before putting in the work, they, uh, they're already, you know, they think they're a brand because they've been looked at since they were in eighth grade. Um, you know, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook videos, all that stuff in high school. And then all of a sudden in college, either, you know, they got the one and done and, and they think they kind of blew up. So now someone's kind of put that bug in there, like, oh yeah, hey, you need to focus on this, on your image, instead yeah. of focusing on your jump shot. You know, instead of focusing on playing defense and then letting the accolades come to you and fall where they may. Yeah. Hey, Saul, uh, and I hate to bring up Reggie Miller to you, but Reggie Miller said <laughs> Jordan Jordan shouldn't apologize for anything he did to win. Do you agree or disagree with that? I agree a hundred percent. I do. Yeah. I, I, I uh, yeah, I hate Reggie Miller. I have to respect him, you know, because he is one of the greats. But I think he's a weasel. I I loved when they uh, when they showed the the beef between him and, and MJ early yeah. in Reggie Miller's career, and yeah. MJ's just choking him. Black 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 Jesus. <laughs> yes, Black Jesus. You know, it's just like, it, but, but it was perfect because I I, yeah. I remember that as a kid, and I'm like, well, that's you know, Reggie. That's what Reggie deserves because you knew if you followed basketball you know as much as we did the way we did you knew mm-hmm. why these guys would be getting in a in a little tiffs on the court and you you were waiting to see that yeah um again following off of reggie miller you are a knicks fan i know you have a scotty pippen story and i would like you to tell that but uh, first of all <laughs> yeah, how do true. you how do you feel scotty was painted in this documentary all right uh, you know I'm, I'm glad you asked that because uh, a lot of people are saying that, you know, like I'm Scotty himself, you know, you're hearing rumors that he's angry, that he was portrayed in a bad light. Um, my whole stance on it, and, and you know, I might be the only one that looks at it this way. I, I don't think he was painted in a bad light. I think, I think those are parts of the story that needed to be told in order yeah. to have the whole story. Okay. Um, That's uh, valid. There's this, uh, there's this um, I forget who it was, but, you know, they're, they're interviewing somebody. Oh, they're interviewing Biggie's mom, mm-hmm. uh, Christopher Wallace's mom, Notorious B.I.G., the late rapper. And, um, you know, his stories and you hear a lot of his raps, you know, they're they're grimy. It's a lot of uh, it's like vulgar. It's, it's yeah. crazy stories that you hear, like, you know, from the streets, from the block. And one thing that she said, and this always stuck with me, was it was a filthy story, but somebody had to say it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, regardless of all the crazy things that happen, you you know, if you didn't know about these details, like the, you know, for instance, I, I'll go back to Scotty. If you didn't know about Scotty 
uh, sitting out that 1.7 seconds or whatever it was um, against the Knicks in the playoffs, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to really grasp the, the the mental fortitude and toughness that it takes to come in and 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 defer if you have to, because I refer to a story in the Last Dance when they're talking about Michael Jordan uh, and Phil Jackson asking him who's open, mm-hmm. like trust your teammates. And yeah. they said John Paxson and, you know, the rest of his history, John Paxson, it's the shot against the Suns. And, um, you know, he has, a, he has a great game, that game. And they go on to win the series. And he, I, I think, you know, in order for you to be that kind of, uh, that killer instinct attitude, win at all cost, you do have to realize, hey, I'm not the only one out here. And it's like, all right, if that's what Phil says, let me remember what he told MJ, you know, just the year before to trust my teammates and you got to do what you have to do you know i, I mean you contribute in any way yeah no that's 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 a valid point when you put it into the the comparison with sitting out yeah uh, so of the coup coach situation oh absolutely so you would never michael jordan would never sit out mm-hmm. you know like i said look what, what did what did he do he wasn't you know he was having a rough game phil jackson asked him who do you think is open who's open what do you see you know, Scotty, you know, thinking he had to maybe put the whole thing on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know, it is what it is. And if you want to go to the contract discrepancy about him not getting paid, you know, uh, I mean, that's on him. You know, you got to get a yeah. lawyer. You got to figure it out. If you want to go to him, you know, opting to not take surgery sooner or whatever. Again, that's that's on him. That just shows the difference because uh, Scotty, arguably the best second player ever, just because he played next to MJ, but look at that difference—the men, the mental, the, the mental mm-hmm. difference that it takes to really be, you know, MJ and go over the top, as opposed to having all the physical abilities and attributes, and you know, you're you're having someone next to you kind of push you along. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. I, I think I, I don't think he was to me that he didn't look bad. He's Scotty. That's all it is. It was mm-hmm. Scotty Pippen. You know what I mean? That, that's the difference. Yeah. Want to go ahead and tell your Scotty story now? <laughs> yeah, real quick. Um, so I got to meet him. Um, I want to say maybe about six years ago uh, or 2003, maybe even seven years ago. Anyways, I was working at NBA City, which is no longer there at City Walk. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sam Vincent had an office there. We used to have a lot of pros and retired guys, uh, not superstars per se, but mm-hmm. you know, I would know who they were. You know, like if Rudy Gay walked in the restaurant, I knew that was Rudy you Gay. You know, yeah. Yep. You know, other people wouldn't. I'm like, hey, that's Rudy Gay. Like, we got to take care of this guy. Yeah. Um, so he had, so Scottie Pippen came in, I guess, had a meeting with, I want to say it was Sam Vincent, I believe. Um, and uh, they're sitting at one of the booths in the corner there. And I'm watching them the whole time and I bring out their food. And I'm just kind of like excited because I want to talk to Scottie Pippen. <laughs> this is, is Scottie Pippen. Like I said, arguably the second best player ever. If you know, if if, if you just want to throw that argument out there, and um, I, I have to I have to say hi. There's no way in hell that I'm gonna let this guy get out of this building without me saying something. So, as he's leaving, he walks through the tunnel, and I'm walking as I, you know I'm just like missile kind of going right at him. And right as he gets to the exit door, right past this little, end, you know, there's a tunnel inside and you get to the e- exit doors past that. Um, I stop him and I say, hey, Mr. Scotty Pippen. You know, I put the Mr. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And I, you know, whatever. I'm a grown man. Uh, respect. Care. Put some respect on it. Exactly. No, exactly. So uh, Mr. Scotty Pippen, you know, I start and I shake his hand. I'm like, it's a pleasure to meet you. You know, it's an honor to meet you. I can't believe that, you know, it's, it's really you. But I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a Knicks fan. And Patrick Ewing is my favorite player. And I don't like what you did 
in the playoffs that year when you dunked all over them and you pushed them down. What was the point <laughs> of all that? I, 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 I did just like that. I gave it to him. Hmm. I wouldn't be a real Knicks fan if I didn't stand up for and Patrick blue, Ewing. You know? Orange and blue skies forever. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> baby, orange and blue skies forever. So, um, you know, he starts smiling because he knows. You know, I'm not even done with the question, but he knows. Yeah. The minute I said dunk on Ewing, Big smile on his face. He squeezes my hand as he as he's shaking it, and he <laughs> leans into my ear, and he mm. says, "He had it coming." <laughs> and at that point, I just completely lost it, and I was just like, "Oh man, Scotty, thank you so much." You know, and shook his hand, finished shaking hands or whatever, and he went on his way. And and I just thought that was the funniest thing ever, the most Scotty Pippen like answer, <laughs> you know, in that raspy voice he's got. Yep. So uh, yeah, I mean. You know, if Patrick ever hears this, you know, hey, man, I stood up for you, bro. All right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go. That's loyalty for you. Exactly. Um, so, so this docuseries, it was 10 episodes. And, for you know, for five weekends, we got two episodes a Sunday. Was there anything in this uh, that absolutely surprised you? or kind? Because, of, again, we lived this. So we're, we were familiar with a lot of it. But also, this was the first time that we saw the curtain pulled back on certain aspects um was there anything that was there a moment that you were just like damn or was there you know that that wow i never knew that moment this makes sense now for you well what i kind of liked was that um who who was it that was bringing an mj to practice while he was still playing baseball um it was bj armstrong yes and i actually got to meet him too at nba city he's a nice guy but uh and i was working with him that was during the all-star experience and all that all-star weekend okay all-star weekend yep. yeah it was really cool but um you know i thought that was kind of neat that bj was the one that kind of brought him along i still don't believe the uh the the poison the food poisoning pizza okay good story. i'm, I'm, I'm glad because that was actually where i was going next but go, go ahead <laughs> yeah so i um I, so i what i heard and what i'm gonna stick to and, and it wasn't a flu game because he wasn't sick. We all, you know, I kind of figured we kind of started hearing stories. Uh-huh. He he just stayed up all night drinking <laughs> and gambling. You know what I mean? Just drinking <laughs> and gambling. And, so, and that's what it was. Yeah, so we, we talked about this earlier with the guys because I had said to them, I don't understand because uh, to, to go a little deeper uh, earlier when I was talking about it, I was telling one thing that I learned in the series is I always knew about Michael, uh, excuse me, Michael Jordan, the competitor. <laughs> I didn't never realized Michael Jordan the storyteller and I realized through this series that throughout his entire career Michael was penning a story and writing a story and he was writing his narrative and this series was done in his narrative mm-hmm. what I don't understand and what I didn't understand about the flu game and I didn't understand about the whole pizza thing is why why even bring that up? Why not just let us continue to think it was the flu game? Because even though even though it was never, you know, Michael didn't come out and say it was the flu game. It was, you know, Bob Costas and all these announcers who were saying, oh, you know, the flu game, flu game, flu game. It was the flu game, and we were fine with that. To In this now, in this masterful storyteller that Jordan's been, that we're seeing through the series, all yeah. of a sudden now to throw in this pizza thing seemed weird to me because, okay, let's look at it. So... You're in you're in Salt Lake City. You're not even really in Salt Lake City. You're you're outside in the, in the mountains of Salt Lake City. You decide you want pizza at 10:30 at night. Five guys come to your door to deliver a pizza, and then everybody who's in the room with you, nobody has a pizza. You're the only one that eats the pizza, and the only one that gets sick. It just seemed like such a weird story to tell, and I didn't quite understand it. And like I had said to the guys, uh, and you're saying, you know, which is a possibility. Maybe he was up drinking and gambling. My thing was. 
you can't deny that he something was wrong with him because clearly you could physically see he wasn't 100%. So it wasn't like he was just making this story up. But I was like, could it have been something as simple as altitude sickness? Oh, it just I him, mean, that's maybe. It hit him really hard because I just thought it was so weird. I, I don't know. that To me, that was one of the weirdest things about the documentary was why, why, I don't know. Like, it seemed like you had the past. Like, you know what they I mean? Said, Everybody uh, was buying into the flu game. You oh, had yeah. to pass on that. Why, why change the narrative there? They said that uh, he had he had like spit on the pizza so no one else could have any, <laughs> you know, or something like that. They were saying all this stuff. I'm telling you, man, like Utah out there, wherever they're at, right outside. I'm yeah. pretty sure there's casinos. I'm pretty sure there's gambling. I'm pretty sure there's something. You know, the guy stayed up all. Listen, we cannot forget the story of him going to Atlantic City when they said that, and he said he was home by 10:30. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. Sorry for, yeah. for dropping that. But that's okay. You know, no way. <laughs> yeah. I've been out, you know, to the casinos. And I keep telling myself, oh yeah, I'll be uh, we'll just stop at this time. We'll stop at this if if Michael Jordan is the competitor that he, we've seen that he is in this docuseries, mm-hmm. no way he's left at 10:30. No way he was home by midnight. I mean, the man was out gambling, out drinking, and you know, pro- probably just had too much beer. And that's what it was. So it is what it is. But you're absolutely right. I don't get why, why kind of lie to us about it. Or and and I think it's because the stories were coming out, you know, throughout the years already. Because mm-hmm. you know, obviously, we've seen that these reporters and, and these broadcasters were kind of covering for him. Then you won't have Yeah. yeah. Um, but they, you know, it, it's kind of the same thing. Like, uh, you know, back then, what you know, they covered for Babe Ruth a lot, right? A lot of the yep. reporters, all these guys. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, well. And let's not, you make a great point with that. Let's not forget, Saul, that at this time, the, the ones who hold the contract, the television contract for the NBA is NBC. Yes. And who is one of the announcers for NBC? Ahmad Rashad. Yes. Who you see several times in this documentary as Michael Jordan's best friend. So yes. you know, again, you know the narrative was being driven. You know the story was being directed. Like there's just, there's so much that you could just you could just dig into and and i think you're right i think you know a lot of it was you know the smoke and mirrors that it needed to be to protect jordan and and to protect his 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 legacy so as again as a as a knicks fan and somebody who watched you know michael come in some very good nick nick teams watched uh you know michael come in and knock them out of the playoffs overall with this series growing up watching him everything what is your final take on michael jordan I don't I don't think they portrayed just how tough the Knicks series were number one mm-hmm. uh, n- n- do you two. remember the brawl sorry I don't mean to interrupt no, no, you go ahead, but go there, ahead. Was, there was a brawl when we were kids I want to say it was like 94 95 and Derek Harper was involved it was during the playoffs and um, what, it was the Bulls and the Knicks and one of them they, I forget who it was but I think it was Derek Harper literally like hip tosses one of the bulls into the scorers table and it just like erupted into this big brawl and aside from like malice in the palace like if you have a chance go go check out youtube and check i think it's like 94 95 bulls playoff brawl uh aside from malice in the palace it was probably one of the the you know kind of yeah funkier fights i'm gonna have to check that out man you're gonna see thinking it might it might have been doc rivers 
It could have been Doc. You know, it I could could've... have been Doc. But um, because gotta... he was there at the time, so I, I could be getting the point guards mixed up. Yeah, I'll check. I'll check it out. But you're right. It, it was one of those two. I'm, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go back and yeah. look at that. But uh, I'll continue. Continue with your um, your opinion of it. Yeah, but uh, the second thing I, I, I was gonna say. Um, so yeah, so what was the, number one? The Knicks, you know, I didn't portray them like they, you know, as hard as they should have mm. been, as tough, as tough as they really were. Um, I think also a, a big thing for me that I that I saw just to kind of sum it all up is that he he, he didn't he was he was really lonely, mm-hmm. you know, because the players had had players they were friends with each other, and then the locker room, and then when you see MJ yes. getting ready for the game. MJ's in a whole nother room by himself. I'm glad you brought that up. Shot and security, you know, because that was not part of the team. Because that was poignant to me, and that that stood out to me, and I, it started to make me wonder. Because there were times you saw him in the locker room, um, but it was not. You're right. There, you saw him isolated more, and I wonder. I wonder to myself, was that a personal choice or was that? But I think you're right. I think that has to do with uh, again, also just a fierce competitor. Maybe you know he he wanted it that way. But yeah, that was. I, I think you're right. I think there's a bit of loneliness to that. Oh yeah, I mean, but you to accomplish what he had to accomplish, you know, because mm-hmm. of the I feel like the other distractions that he had, the gambling mm-hmm. and, and 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 drinking and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like you know that that's what it's kind of what took place of the friends, you know, of, mm-hmm. the, of the friendships maybe and, and of the camarader- camaraderies. Yeah, I think you know it was the boozing and all that stuff because. They were like, man, we can't hang with this guy. You know, we don't have that kind of money. We can't do all this <laughs> stuff like that. This guy's wild. Yeah. And Who was it? Was it Jed Bushler that said they were up in the in the front of the plane? Yes. Or in front of the plane, like dollar hands of blackjack because they couldn't sit in the back. Yeah. And afford the buy-in for Mike's games. And then MJ comes up to the front and takes their money <laughs> yeah. anyway. It's like, what are you doing that for? You know. So I, I, I like I, I feel like I, I, you know, I, I've, I've met somebody like that. You know, I've mm. played with somebody like that before. I've seen it, and 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 it's almost like if he would have been in the locker room with the rest of the guys at that time, I think mm-hmm. it might have almost been a, a mood killer, an energy drainer, because they got to put up with him in practice, and he's so hard on them in practice. Yeah. You know, now we got to get ready for the game, and here's this MJ talking trash to everybody. And you know, we—I I don't know—it it was weird though. But yeah, th- those those things to me, I, I were probably the, the two biggest things I probably took away was that, you know, they they should have done a little more on the Knicks and how tough you know those series were, and and I think he was just kind of very lonely, man. Just never really had any any a good friend in the NBA, um, you know, like his at his age. Yeah. You know, so I don't know, but. It was wild. It was good to watch. I, I yeah. loved it. I loved reliving those days. Yeah, it was. It was a great. I had mentioned that earlier in the show. It was a great. You know, with everything that we've got going on with the pandemic, it was a great break for us to kind of sit these last five Sundays and get lost for two hours in our childhood memories. Um, you know, because again, we we lived it. So it. But I, and I enjoyed seeing the curtain peeled back on the things that we didn't see at the time. Uh, so I, you know, I, I thought it was. I thought it was great. I thought you know it is. It is what it is. I don't think that Jordan should necessarily make apologies. I don't think he's making apologies, but I don't think he should necessarily make apologies. And he did what he did to get to the finish line. He did what he did to be successful. And at the end of the day, I don't think you can really argue with that. No, not at all. He won. He, he six, mm-hmm. six out of eight. That's yep. crazy. Yep. So, so it was pretty well, cool. Sal, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about this. Um, you know, I figured who better? to talk basketball with me than a guy that I sit next to 
a lot and call basketball games with um so it's it's been fun and we'll definitely have to do this again soon dude it was it was my pleasure man thanks so much for having me on um check out Saul's life if everybody can um and absolutely stay stay uh i'll, I'll get well we'll talk a little later because you're gonna I'm, I'm gonna have you on mine i was gonna, gonna say I, days, i'm so. glad you said that because i was gonna say anytime you want me i'll be more than happy to come on Saul's life no perfect, problem at all man. yeah absolutely we're definitely doing that all right all right we'll, do, we'll do we'll do some we'll do some crossover stuff with each other absolutely this, this won't be a this won't be a one-off we'll do some crossover stuff with it no it's perfect other. it's perfect i like it that way that's good that's good <laughs> all right my brother all right man have a good thanks one, for your time all right absolutely all right well that certainly was a lot to unwrap i want to thank everybody for hanging with us today on this special edition of random thoughts and best regards i am your host teo double d and i greatly appreciate you joining us for this special look at the last dance i want to thank our panelists who joined us earlier jintu ricardo marvin and terrence and i also want to thank sal my broadcast colleague who came in and joined us in the final segment of the show Again, the legacy of Michael Jordan is a great one. Uh, there is no denying his, his ability as a competitor. And there is no denying the fact that he was a winner. I, again, like I said, I think this documentary showed us winning and leadership has a price. I greatly enjoyed the 10-episode docuseries of The Last Dance. And I'm thankful that you carved some time out to spend with us. So until next time, stay safe, stay strong. Thanks for listening to my dad's show.